Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. And I am Farnas Fatimi back with you this evening. And I'm really excited because the show tonight is focusing on a book just coming out called The Blinding Star. And it's selected poems by Blanca Varela, published this month by Tolson Books. And it's translated by Lisa Allen Ortiz and Sarah Danielle Rivera, who are my guests today. And I want to remind you, listeners, we're recording from distances, so I hope we don't have to um, worry about that. But if you hear crazy sounds, you know why. And thank you very much for being patient with us. And again, this is KSQD 90.7 FM. I thought I would start just by introducing the poet, uh, Blanca Varela, and, and the book. The Blinding Star is new translations of poems by the Peruvian poet Blanca Varela and includes two of her most experimental works in their entirety. That's The Book of Clay and Animal Concert, and then two other books selected from. Although Varela has been categorized as a surrealist, this collection, quote, reframes her work as existentially feminist. Octavio Paz described Varela's work as both the wound and the knife. And as the jacket copy on this book says so appropriately, these poems journey inward through dark gardens to expose the wound of grief and outward again with sharp clarity. So in order to let you, you, our listeners get a sense of the poet, I thought we could jump right in to hear two poems of hers, and then I'll introduce these poet translators who are here. Thank you so much, Sarah and Lisa, for being here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so, so where time permits, I'm going to ask you to read the Spanish original along with the translations from your book. And Sarah, if you would, would you start us off with Epitaph? Yes, absolutely. And this is the first book, the first poem in the book, sorry. So I'll read it in Spanish first. Epitafio. Esto es hoy algo perdido. Brilla el césped. Cae una hoja y es como la señal esperada para que vuelvas de la muerte y cruces con resplandor y silencio de estrella mi memoria. Epitaph. This is today something lost. Grass gleams. A leaf falls and it's like the awaited sign for you to return from the dead and cross with radiance in star silence, my memory. Oh, uh, we're in for a treat. Um, Lisa, would you read The Animal? Yes. I, I, I don't think anybody wants to hear me read in Spanish though. Do you wanna just hear it in um, English or can Sarah read it for me? Sure, if that's, if that's what you want. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm happy to read it in Spanish and then have Lisa jump in with the English. How about that? It sounds nice. All right, this is El Animal. El animal que se revuelca en barro está cantando. Amor gruñe en su pecho y en sucia luz envuelto se va de fiesta. 
De allí que el matadero sea el arco triunfal de esta aventura y en astrosa apariencia se oculten la salud y la armonía y la negra avellana sepulta en el garguero lance rayos azules a los vientos. Engastado en la mugre, diamante singular astro en penumbra, encuentra y pierde a Dios en su pelambre con nubio de atragantada melodía y agonía gozosa. Se necesita el don para entrar en la charca. The animal that wallows in mud is singing. Love growls in its heart, wrapped in filthy light. It goes to town. From there, the slaughterhouse becomes the triumphal arch of this adventure where ragged appearance cloaks health and happiness and the black chestnut stuck in the gullet lances blue rays to the winds. Trapped in the muck, singular diamond twilight star finds and loses God in its pelt, matrimony of choked melody and joyful agony. It takes a rare gift to enter this pond. Thank you both. It's just lovely to hear the Spanish and the English together, and also just lovely to hear the poems. I've been rereading this book over the last couple of days in, to prepare for our conversation, and I've been wanting to hear them out loud. So that's just, it's so great. Um, so, and, and those poems definitely, I think, capture some of that, that imagery that's so, um, so inviting from her. Um, let me introduce, the two of my guests today, these, these amazing women. Um, Lisa Allen Ortiz, friend of the show, is not only co-founder of our show and, and of the Hive Poetry Collective itself, but she is the author of Guide to the Exhibit, 2016 winner of the Perugia Press Prize, and two chapbooks, Turns Out, and Self-Portrait as a Clock. Her translations and poetry have appeared in many wonderful journals and magazines, and it might be worth noting she lived with her family in Peru in 2013 and 2014. And Sarah Danielle Rivera is a Cuban Peruvian artist, writer, translator, and educator from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Her poetry has also appeared in many ranging literary journals. She was the recipient of a 2013 Robert Pinsky Global Fellowship in Poetry and a 2017 Saint Botoff Emerging Artist Award, and she has previously previous translation credits um, uh, that. Well, I'll let you. I'll let you look at the book to see more of the credits. Um, Sarah, it, welcome, Lisa. Welcome back. Um, it's lovely to have you both. And I wonder if you would start with the story of the evolution of this project. Um, how did you two meet and how did you decide to work together? This is our first interview, so we get to tell the story for the first time. So oh, yay. I, I want you to tell it and um, let's see. Uh, well, I know that Lisa um, sort of started this project before I did and I was sort of invited into the work, um, but I can tell the story of how that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I started reading Blanca Varela in, I believe it was um, 2015. It was after I had uh, lost my 
my grandfather and I went back to Peru um, for his memorial mass. And it was my first time in Lima in years. And in a bookstore, I just happened to pick up a copy of Concierto Animal. And I absolutely fell in love with that book. Um, I didn't know at the time that Varela herself had written that book in a really intense time of mourning, but something in my own mourning really responded to the book, to its imagery, to its inherent grief. And so I began translating it just for myself as kind of a comforting healing act. And that was when I became interested in potentially pursuing the, the rights to translate the poems and all of that. Um, and I didn't really know how to go about doing it. So I looked into, you know, is anyone else translating her work? Uh, is any of her work out there in English? And I came across a handful of translations here and there. And some of the translations I came across were Lisa's. And I was incredibly enamored with her translations. I thought she captured the tone so beautifully. I thought they were gorgeous poems in English when she translated them. And so I reached out to her and I just said, you know, I love the translations. Um, if you would ever like to collaborate on anything, I'm here. And that was when she invited me in to start translating with her. And it was way more fun to do it together. <laughs> it's, it's so easy to think you're crazy because translation is crazy um, and comforting. It just was so nice to be able to talk through all the little decisions and like acknowledge the hard parts. And also Sarah's a fantastic translator and um, like also has her, her dad was really helpful. Um, we lost Sarah's dad during um, the time we worked together. Um, but he, that was also a joy to work with him. And you can just feel his joy in this project too. We ended up dedicating the book to him because he was real. I feel like he really saved us in a lot of times and her mama also saved us and my mother-in-law and my daughter, we, we were saved by it, it was a collaborative, the collaboration went beyond just the two of us for sure. <laughs> wow. Um, but it's, it, you're already in conversation with the, the writer, you know, I, I feel like translation is just kind of like a deep reading. And so that's already somebody, um, but it's still solitary without another person to talk it through. So it was fun. Um, when you started, were you working on individual poems or did you, when you started talking to each other about working together, were you already thinking, let's, let's collaborate on a bigger project, on a book, on a, a selection of her work? I, I think you can correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, Lisa. I think what it was, was that Lisa had already translated um, El Libro de Barro, Book of Clay. And we had both done most of or versions of Concierto Animal, Animal Concert. So mm -hmm. we were looking at those collections together, um, those being Varela's kind of most formally experimental um, collections. And we, we really felt that there was something resonant between them. Uh, and then we just started translating we started reading a lot more of her work. I know I got a bunch more <laughs> Varela books and started um, pulling, you know, individual poems that felt 
like they belonged with some of the the larger themes and styles that we were noticing in her work. And so eventually we just had kind of a, a body of selected poems that could fall in around those books. Yeah, and it was kind of taste that made us organize them, but I think it was also what we discovered in Libro de Barro and Concierto. Like the, uh, Sarah uses the language like opened up or something like those two books are so um, crashed open and formally experimental that I think that became the heart of this collection. Um, Mm -hmm. And the beginning, the poems we picked to support them sort of allowed us to tell us to discover a story I don't think we told it but we like discovered some something about Blanca Varela that we could bring here and something about her as a woman um and and a singular very singular woman with a lot of parts (laughs) singular with a lot of parts and is that partly what the book the what I what I read from describes as not just not just surrealist, sort of reframing her as also a feminist poet. Is that part of what happened for you? Definitely what happened for me. I mean, I think, you know, those surrealists were interested in the subconscious and the unconscious. And I, so she definitely uses the tool of surrealism to open doors. In a way, honestly, we don't in North America. Like what I like about translation, like we all like about translation is that just gives us all more, we just, we don't realize that we're writing within a culture, a writing culture, right? And I think North American writing culture is very lyric. We're very um, descriptive and sing-songy kind of Walt whitman Emily Dickinson. Like we come from that where like there are moments, lyric moments. And I think, um, Somebody correct me if I'm going off piste here, but the Latin American, the the tradition of Latin American poetry is more brutal. Um, I don't know why that is, but it just has a more brutal uh, sound to the back of it. Maybe the epic quality that came from it. And then the surrealism, Latin American surrealism is so weird. (laughs) And um, I feel like she found her way into herself. Like she used, she just went into her subconscious, which is such um, a feminine place, but not uh, necessarily a a beautiful place, kind of a wounded place. Yeah, and I I was rereading today um, Octavio Paz's introduction to Varela's first collection, Ese Puerto Existe. And that's a a really beautiful introduction where he, and I think that might be where some of that framing of her as a surrealist comes from because he really introduces her. um, He says not even as a surrealist, but as someone, um, like Lisa said, using the tools of surrealism or interested in the, in the unconscious, things like that. And I think that we were really interested, you know, that was very much her first collection. And he also wrote about um, the way in which that collection felt sort of very separate from gender in a way, or the poetic eye of the collection felt very genderless. And we were interested in over the course of her writing career, I think the womanly side of 
Varela really started to come out. She even spoke about that in interviews, how in some ways she really became cognizant of womanhood after she had children um, and that her concept of womanhood really became more present um, in the work in her later books. And so we were interested in that evolution and we thought that there was something quintessentially female and feminine and feminist about the the tensions that she was examining between the body and the way it presents itself to the world and all of these things. Uh, And there was a deeply existential quality as well, a questioning, you know, of the self, a questioning of the interior world versus the exterior world. And so we were, we felt like the poems that we were really drawn to these were some of the thematic threads that were bringing them together. And I think that's just really articulate and lovely. And I think one sees that as you read through the book and just so our listeners know, again, um, the two books that you've been referring to, Book of Clay and Animal Concert, are the two fully included books. And then those are sections two and three of this, of Blind, the Blinding Star, and they're framed by Dark Spring, selections from Dark Spring at the beginning, and then selections from Private Hunger at the end as the fourth section. Did I get that right? Uh, well, those are actually the, the titles we gave those sections. So those are um, sections oh. one and four are actually selected poems um, from many of her books. And roughly over the course of the whole book, you can see the chronology of her, her whole career. So we have all of her collections in there. Yeah, because you really feel that as you get to section four, that, that evolution that you guys are talking about is so much more explicit in the work. Um, and we'll hear some poems from there. For sure. Thank you. And I want to remind our listeners that we're, we're um, at the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz. And we are talking about the book, The Blinding Star, Selected Poems by Blanca Varela, published this month by Tolson Books. And we will include links to order that book. Um, it is available now. And it is translated by Lisa Allen Ortiz and Sarah Danielle Rivera, who are my guests today, and and we're going to hear some more poems. Um, So I've I've chosen a few more. Um, We've talked about a couple of these. Um, I'm going to ask you, if you would, Sarah, could you read Waltz, um, perhaps in in Spanish and English? And then I'm going to move on to a couple more. Let's start with Waltz. Absolutely. Um, And this one's just a a little bit longer, I think, than some of the others we'll look at today, just so that listeners know. Thank you. Uh, This is Valls. No he buscado otra hora, ni otro día, ni otro Dios que tú. Laberinto, pirámide de humo, altura que canta, pozo que amenaza, tierra de abismo, primavera ciega. La soledad nos une en la humedad del guisante, en la hinchazón de la ola, en el sudor de la raíz. Brota en el polvo gris de Lima, la valla cargada de ira. Gira el vals, manantial de orina, vaho dorado y golpe bajo, labios negros estrujados, 
fantasma que se acaricia bajo las uvas amarillas y se flagela al alba con las estrellas. Haciendo y caigo al fondo de mi alma, que reverdece, agónica de luz y mantada de luz. En ese ir y venir bate el tiempo las alas, detenido para siempre. Recrearte, polvo, brisna, herida. Perderte, gesto, contacto, olvido. Buscar tu sombra, reconocerte tras una ventana. Mancha de sol, sombra de lluvia, en cualquier calle del mundo. Perseguirte, condenado girasol, como una piedra encadenada al aire. Arrastrando la tierra, caude, cauda que enciende universos que se desvanece en una plaza. La mirada que soy entorna la puerta, atispa el vacío, hotel cielo en ruinas. En la rama vencida estalla una breva furiosa, la pupila en llamas, buscándote, exigiendo su razón de luz. Waltz. I haven't sought any other hour, any other day, any other God but you. Labyrinth, smoke pyramid, singing height, menacing well, earthen abyss, blind spring. Solitude unites us with the dankness of the sludge in the swell of the rave, of the wave in the sweat of the root. The berry burdened with ire buds in the gray dust of Lima. The waltz turns, a spring of urine, gold vapor and low beat, black rung lips, ghost that caresses itself beneath the yellow grapes and uses stars to scourge itself at the break of dawn. I ascend and fall to the depths of my soul, which grows green again, agonized by light, magnetized by light. In the coming and going, time bats its wings, forever detained. To recreate yourself, powder, fiber, wound. To lose yourself, gesture, contact, oblivion. To seek your shadow, recognize yourself through a window in sun stain, rain shadow on any street on earth. To pursue yourself, condemned sun seeker, like a rock chained to air, dragged over earth, a trail that ignites universes that fades in the plaza. The gaze that I am leaves the door ajar, spies on the void, looks over the sky in ruins. On the conquered branch, an incensed fig bursts, the inflamed pupil seeking you out, demanding its reason for light. So wild. That is the wildest, craziest poem. <laughs> a million times. I hope people on the radio can hear that. It's so weird. I know. I know. I, I was thinking about that. What do you think is so, what's so weird about it for you? Well, I, every, one thing that's weird is every time it brings something else out. Um, I always like the anaphora of it. You know, she hardly, she doesn't use anaphora very much, but when she does, it like just brings something home. She just accelerates. But this time I really saw what Sarah mentioned before, like the difference between how we present ourselves and what we are inside. I can't remember how Sarah said that so articulately, but um, with the being made of powder, fiber, like being made of this bodily stuff and then um, having oblivion inside 
I also always love the gaze that I am leaves the door ajar and cries on the void. I just think that is um, a nice way to describe what she's doing, you know, looking at things, but but with no certainty, there's always um, the openness of uh, the void right there and the ruin right there. You know, I always find her waltz poems interesting because I believe it was her mother was a composer of waltzes, I believe. So she grew, she has, you know, one of her, my favorite collections of hers is Valses y otras falsas confesiones, waltzes and other false confessions. And I think she has such a sense of, of sound in this poem, bao dorado y, y golpe bajo, like these, <laughs> um, these musical moments and then she'll just sort of plunge you into the void with a line like I ascend and fall to the depths of my soul um and it's just so much of her imagery that can be sort of grotesque at times like sludge and urine and ghost caressing themselves like the the grittiness of you know the city and the soul and then that can be luminous and um full of singing heights and in the next second mm-hmm. that back and forth between the 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 greedy and and then the light it also even happens in the very last stanza of that the spot the door ajar spying on the void and then the inflamed pupil seeking you out um it's just yeah it it's i'm glad that to hear it but i also feel like on the radio, it is it is very challenging because you want to look at it also. So I think the poems reward both um, reading reading and having time, but also hearing it and having it really come inside. Um, so I, I hope listeners, if they read the book, read them to themselves out loud too, <laughs> um, because there's I, I wanted more time with each poem when I was reading them. That was just all there was to it. I'm glad we got to hear the Spanish version of that. We can't do it with everything, but I, I'm glad. Thank you for reading that. Um, what I'd like to do next is hear three poems together that you you all mentioned you feel go together. And listeners, these are all, all right now from the first section of the book. Um, and so uh, you you suggested pair in one hand, uh, sorry, in one hand, pain between two walls and you struck the empty bell three times. And I'm going to ask Sarah, let's just read these in English and we can talk about them. But Sarah, if you would read pair in one hand and then, I'm sorry, I keep saying that, um, in one hand. And then Lisa, pain between two walls and you struck the empty bell three times. How does that sound to you both? Sounds great. Great. That sounds perfect. Because I also think, you know, if you move through these poems in one language, you might see more how they kind of go together without break of the other language so uh in one hand madness and storm in the other a cruel and deadly stone balance on the spider's web that separates salvation and abyss from there wings space feathers buried flight the whole of the sky the sky the firmament of the well and the root of seven luminous arms Why would the number replace the eye that multiplies it? Why is the sky blind? The verb nests off center, never in itself. So all that's central is a wrong turn. And so is the verb, eye of the ruined center, silence. Pain between two walls is no longer pain. 
Let's put the day and the night between us, all that unites and separates us. So much forgetting is rediscovering evasion spinning. An invisible star leaves its orbit, an orbit that was or is the memory. On the shaded side, memory grows and devours itself. Its brilliance is closed and empty like a broken cabinet where something flashed and then withered. The surprising touch of one's own hand, the otherness of me, this exists. Unexplored place of intimate flesh, another earth inside the earth, the body's solitude unfolded in the dark. You struck the empty bell three times and nobody responded. The brain, the apple, the heart were all one secret muted shadow above the infinite lawn where love kneels waiting for the line that cuts and arcs as if it were another sky. Nostalgia of the absent, of various angels. They who, when stripped of time, become elusive nakedness, rattled absence. This is not the realm of will or desire. To translate silence is to attempt music without human ear or throat. Translate the silence. Strike the empty bell three times. May water trickle. May whatever God exists plaster the imagined cave with mute splendor, cordis, cardiac, moist cavern, blue darkness. Wow, well, we could probably stand to hear them all again, but um, I wonder if you would tell our listeners what you see as the relationship between those three poems and, and how they speak to each other for you. Once again, it's always, uh, I, I get something new every time, but I wanted to talk about the duality that's in all of them, like her, her being able to hold the, uh, the certainty of her own self and the unknowing, I think are two things I see her hold a lot. Mm -hmm. um, also a kind of fury, the, the fury that these poems have, I, um, the fury and the certainty of that fury, I, I love in these poems a lot. It might be nice even to hear that particular poem in Spanish if we have time. I, I love that poem in Spanish. Which one? Uh, well, past the three spaces. Um, oh, the the you struck the empty bell. Part, yeah. And is that um, is that where you see the the fury the most? I was. What could you reread? I mean, is there any section in particular, or is it the um, is that the whole poem? I guess it's that the whole poem and Libro de Barro. But Sarah, what do you think connects those three? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about. Um, you know, as you read these poems, I actually found myself thinking about um, moments that resonated in in other poems, even throughout the book, um, because, you know, you you strike the empty bell and nobody responds. There's another poem where someone's knocking on the door and nobody's responding. There are these moments of kind of impact and silence um, that sort of rise throughout. And these poems are from um, the book of Clay, Libro de Barro. And what's formally interesting about that collection is that the poems don't have titles. They're sort of these small prose poems that feel in a way continuous, you know, unbroken by the, the title moment in a poem. Mm -hmm. So 
it's sort of interesting because sometimes I feel like you could almost lift any three or two poems from this collection and they sound like they're from one consciousness, Mm. um, which is such a beautiful effect. It's funny, one consciousness or one lack of consciousness. I mean, there's like this, this, this feeling of, for me, one of the things that kept coming up was this, um, the way memory grows and devours itself. And then um, in the last poem, the, the absence that's, that she refers to, and it's almost like the self gets erased. Um, And, and, and especially in the context of being stripped of time. Um, so there's that like multiple uh, perspectives. It's almost cubist or like reminds me of Virginia Woolf too, in some way, like it puts me in mind of that stream of consciousness, um, even though it doesn't sound that way. Um, and so I could see that that's interesting what you're saying about picking three, but what else, was there anything else about these that um, I, and I'm sorry to the listeners, I misspoke. I was saying these are from the first section, but as, Sarah just pointed out they're from Book of Clay, the second section in this book, all, all of them. Well, um, one thing is that we, in the summaries, the different versions of, you know, summaries that we wrote for the book, something that kept coming up for Lisa and I was the, there was like a, a physical landscape within the body or a physical landscape within the consciousness. And I think on the back of the book, we ended up phrasing it as um, the merciless landscape of her own mind. So there are a lot of these moments of traveling into the self and finding, you know, cardiac, moist cavern, blue darkness, and, and that's all there is. And you get a sense of nothingness and at the same time, everything <laughs> in that space. Um, so I, in these three poems, I, I felt some of that. I felt some of those interior landscapes mm-hmm. mapping those three poems. Yeah. There's that infinite lawn. And there she has a lot of things like that, like balconies and lawns. That's one reason we love the cover is because they kind of got into that, like that under sea feeling in there. But in the, you strike the empty bell three times. There's also... Um, to translate silence is to attempt music without human ear or throat, like uh, like Sir Willis idea. Like you can barely understand. I barely can understand a lot of what she says, but that one in particular, um, it's crazy. And this poem was also kind of onerous as translators to be talking about um, to be translating something she's saying that's very difficult about translation. And as I was listening to us today I was really thinking oh translation is really a border but not a border wall like not a kind of Trumpian border but like a I was thinking about like in California most people are bilingual right so you kind of or to some extent and you can't um you, you can't hold both oh like maybe some people are like living right on the border where they can hold both cultures at the same time or and both languages, mm-hmm. but um, you get to kind of step back and forth. And then the idea of that like, translating silence as if there's that void, whatever she found in her that was the space um, and that she's showing us and mm-hmm. that there's space on both sides somehow. Um, 
and without human air or and I also love that she says that you you can't do it and then she said do it like translate right. the silence yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, would you yeah that the the last it's it's two stanzas this is not the realm of will or desire to translate silence is to attempt music without human ear or throat and then the next section translate the silence strike the empty bell three times so it moves from the it's not really possible and um this is something crazy to do and then an imperative do it yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so there's so much to talk about i would love to hear from each of you personally um what drew you to blanca varela and and what of what I know, I mean, we heard the origin story of the translation from you, Sarah, but specifically for each of you, what is it that that you respond to in her work? And then, and what of that are you hoping gets illuminated when people read this book? You go first, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, um, I... I realized that I got the year wrong that I started reading her. It was 2014, not 2015. <laughs> Those years get completed in my mind a lot. Um, but I think uh, what, what drew me to the work initially was that that sense of grief that was so palpable in Concierto Animal. There's a, a poem in here that is, you know, if if you could hear me with your after ear, like if you could hear me with your your ear that's beyond this realm. And, um, you know, it's it's been written about that this was the collection that Varela wrote after losing her son in a tragic accident. Um, so I think that I could feel, I could feel that grief and I could feel the the sort of carnality of it. I was struck by all of this kind of bestial imagery that was in that collection. You would have moments of really lyric, you know, beautiful images of light and dark, and then mo moments of, you know, the animal rising out of, out of the mud and the sludge and all of these just very carnal moments. Um, and that's certainly one of the collections where that strain of her work comes most to light, but it's there in all of the rest of her books. And I felt like that was something, the way she was using language was something that I hadn't heard before. The way she was using imagery felt so real to me, so real to grief and I hadn't heard it before. Um, and we had talked about sharing this poem and it's a tiny poem. So if I can, I'll share it now. But the very first poem of Concierto Animal is called Niño Come or Child Eats. And it goes like this. Niño come llorando, llora comiendo niño. En Animal Concierto, el placer y el dolor hacen al ángel a dos carrillos musico. Child eats crying, cries eating child. In animal concert, pleasure and pain turn the gorging angel into a musician. That was one of the hardest poems in this whole collection to translate. Lisa and I went back and forth on it so many times, 
my dad and I went back and forth on it so many times, just figuring out um, this is a collection that doesn't have punctuation. And so we were trying to figure out like, just what is the syntax of this poem? What is it actually saying? Um, and it felt like in such a tiny space, there was this kind of this image that was at once sad and pleasurable and full of pain and slightly grotesque and gorging. Uh, and it was all in this just, and musical as well. So it was all in this just tiny amount of space. And that was the very first poem I read of hers. And I've never gotten over that, <laughs> you know, over what that poem does. And so that was what invited me into the whole of this work. And I am going to follow up after this about that, about translation and the challenges of that, partly using, looking at that poem, but, um, but, and that did, I, I, you know, in the first section too, the, the, the way that she talks about the dark parts of the garden that one's not used to hearing about in poetry is was so satisfying personally, you know, and that, so I think I understand one of what you're responding to. Um, Lisa, what about you? Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back to that crazy poem. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, someone gave me a Cantabriano um, before we left Peru. I think it was David St. John. And that is unlike uh, Sarah's first book. That one was pretty easy. Like there's some very simple poems in there, but there's also the title poem in there is very strange. Um, and I had just never seen anything like that. Like I had never seen anything like that. And I hadn't read that um, many women Latin American writers, frankly. So I didn't, I mean, so I would just kind of have my mind blown. I, mm. I um, was so amazed by how, even in our simple one, like that collection is earlier, right, um, Sarah? Um, then Francierto, did it come out earlier? I will find out and come back to you. Um, <laughs> Anyway, it seemed like still she had this like courage um, and brutality that I could, but I wasn't sure, but I wasn't sure. So anyway, then that's when I decided, well, maybe I can be sure by seeing if I could change it into English since I hadn't seen that. Um, and that's why it was so nice to work with Sarah because I was like, is, is this crazy and is this brutal? And that um, Nino, because I do, I do like making things sound a certain way in English. Like I really want to make them sound like poems in English. Translation is so strange. So sometimes I will take um, risks that I worry I shouldn't. Um, and so it's so nice to have a conversation about that. But um, Child eats crying. I so much wanted to change the verb tense. I kept wanting to change the verb tenses because just the child eats crying, cries eating child is so, so disorienting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I just wanted to orient us. I just wanted to orient us. And it, I'm so grateful that Sarah just kept saying, no, you, we cannot. That's it is just as strange as it is. And part of me wanted to say, oh, we, and also, <laughs> We worked on Turn the Gorging Angel into Musician so many times, because if you read that in Spanish, it's also very, the whole thing is very strange. Like, yeah. um, 
Yeah. Pleasure. Me, so, so I want to talk about this more. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking about Blanca Varela and the book uh, that we're reading from is The Blinding Star. And we have the translators of this book, this selection of poems uh, with us, Lisa Allen Ortiz and Sarah Danielle Rivera. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. And I'm Farnas Fatemi and from the Hive Poetry Collective. So let's talk more about this. Um, I want to hear about challenges of translating, not just about verb tenses and the craziness of those <laughs> phrases, but um, there's two poems, Child Eats Crying and Bodiless, Bodiless Passage that you mentioned also was brought up a lot of um, maybe puzzles or confounding. Um, and and so let's, let's talk a little bit more about Child Eats Crying. So what, what, how did you, could you talk, walk us through the process of translating that? Did you, had you each translated it separately? Was this one of the ones that you had, um, you had done separately or did you do it together? Uh, we did both have a version of this one initially. And I think both of them were, were possibly very different and possibly very wrong. <laughs> Um, because, uh, and I did look it up, um, cause we have a chronology in the back of the book, Lisa Canto Viano did come before Concierto Animal, which I thought so is done 1978 because Concierto Animal was one of her later collections at the end of the nineties. Um, but so one of the difficult things about this tiny poem is just tracking the syntax, um, you know, in, in Animal Concierto, el placer y el dolor hacen al ángel dos, a dos carrillos músico. So just kind of tracking like um, what's in concert. Okay, it's the, the pleasure and the pain. Um, and are, are the pleasure and the pain <laughs> the ones doing something to the angel, changing the angel into something. Uh, so just like getting a sense of what the transformation was mm -hmm. that was happening at the end of the poem. And then there's also a dos carrillos in Spanish. It's like, you know, another, it's a very particular phrase that we translated as gorging because it's just like, you know, kind of funneling food in. <laughs> um, so that, that phrase was also very difficult to capture. And I owe like understanding the meaning of those last two lines to my dad. Um, he had like the most expansive vocabulary I've ever seen in both English and Spanish. And he was the one who was sort of like, I'm pretty positive she's saying this, <laughs> like that this is the image. And then we worked on what what words we wanted to convey that image. I mean, the image of a gorging angel is just so strange. It is so, uh, I mean, it's the first time I've ever come across that. So that's just by itself as one of this, the six lines. <laughs> and it's still the weird part is this still, I feel like we could spend the rest of the hour still working on this poem. Like, uh -huh. I, <laughs> we work so much on gorging if that's the right word like the stuff to the gills we had stuff to the gills for a while like to get that cheek thing mm -hmm. and I realized oh this is her so right about being about grief but that kind of carnal in these six mm -hmm. lines the carnal and the spiritual mm -hmm. um messed up together like the, and this whole collection of course is about humans as animal like the animal part mm -hmm. of us and the mm -hmm. weeping weird 
the, the place where the animal and the spectacular kind of touch, I think. Yeah, I think I told Lisa that I, I think a lot about that word gorge because it's at once, you know, the filling of a cavernous space in the body, but in a physical landscape, it is also the cavernous space itself. Um, so I, I think about, yeah, we just went over the connotations of all of these, these little words. Well, the sound that you ended up with is just it seems perfect to me to have the gorging angel, the two words next to each other, very different from the sound in, in Spanish. And I'm not going to butcher it, but, the, but it, it's so right. It feels so right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I don't speak Spanish. I read a little bit and I really enjoyed seeing a lot of the moves between the two, on the two sides of the page because of how much the sounds change, but how much you did each of you with those, with creating something very satisfying, very sensual in the the, poem, the translations. And I just wanted to do a shout out to Tolson Books for um, doing the bilingual edition. Like, yeah, that was really nice of them. Yeah, it's, it's a treasure for people to be able to see it. Um, Lisa, would you read Bodiless Passage to us? And then we can talk about that translation. Bodiless passage from, this is in the same concerto animal, so the, the same animal um, animal collection. Bodiless passage from sun to shadow, water music in living shade. I cross the vagina's sharp lip that guides me from blindness to light. Beneath the high sonorous dome in this colossal semblance of a nest, I touch the ocean's womb with my womb. I meticulously register my body, rummage my passions. I'm alive. Well, we wouldn't know there, were ch- there was anything difficult about that. <laughs> it's a beautiful poem. Um, so what, what, was ha- what was hard about this translation? Uh, a couple things. Well, we, we were grateful. Your mom helped us with this. <laughs> Remember, your mom helped with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that took us a lot of time was la afilada vagina, the, uh, the, the aerated or whatever. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's that that line in context is important. Atravieso la afilada vagina. Like mm-hmm. I, it's the the image is you know, crossing, traversing this sharpened boundary, this sharpened edge uh, of the vagina. And it's, it was difficult to um, make, make it sound as good as it does in Spanish. Um, We, I know for a long time, we had the razor edged vagina and it just, it didn't quite quite work um the blade of the vagina the knife of the vagina you get it's amazing how many like things <laughs> yeah we, we spent a lot of time with this <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> days of work on that wow. one <laughs> um and, and this is it's just such a an interesting poem because it's out it begins with the word bodiless but it's so it's mm. a physical exploration of the body, the high sonorous dome, all of this womb and water imagery. Uh, And then in the middle of all of what felt very kind of soft and open, you had this very um, sharp 
image. So we, we struggled with getting the right sound, the right tone, the right wording for sure. Mm. I'm, yeah. back. I'm happy with that. Actually, I love Vagina's truck whip as a solution. It's, there's some things that we struggle with that I was like, like I felt there's one line that I'm like, oh, I wish that I, <laughs> sometimes that I wish, I think they're wrong. You, when you read them now, you're saying? Mm-hmm. And some poems, we could keep changing it forever. You know, <laughs> we could keep struggling with certain lines forever. It's so hard at a certain point to, um, I think we even, you know, when we were sending back edits to our Tolson book team, they were so patient <laughs> with us. I was like, I really want to change this line if that's okay. Um, yeah, there are so many things we could continue changing forever. It's, and they're living and they will change. like that's the nice thing you know how like old translations are kind of musty and whoever translates her next is going to have a good time and <laughs> enliven her more like they're definitely not done finished things they're just windows no go ahead uh, I, I just wanted to say the nice thing is that we are publishing this book at a time when other publications of other translations of Varela's are coming out as well. So there are certain poems where it's like, you know, we're not going to be the only version or the only take on this poem out there. And that's really kind of nice to feel like, Mm. you know, this is the first kind of selected works of hers that are going to be in English, but also we're we're kind of in community with these other translators. I know um, Carlos Lara has a version of um, Canto Viano coming out and, yeah, so it, it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. Like <laughs> other translators will put out their takes on it as well. Oh, you know, I I, I think I could talk to, I could add, add, the next question I would ask you would be about translation more um, because it's just so interesting and we're going to run out of time. I could do it. We could talk another whole hour um, because thinking about the difference between working by yourself and working with somebody else in translation also is seems like, I mean, you can have a good attitude about it and decide you're going to let go, but what if the other person doesn't want to? And I, like, we can't talk about that, but what I d- would like to ask briefly, and then we'll, we'll close with a couple more of her poems. Um, how was it to work in collaboration um, on this project? Um, especially, I think you talked about being in conversation with the poet, um, Lisa, now you have to be in conversation with the poet and somebody else. Um, and is it something that came naturally to, to add another person into this uh, work or, and, and where, were, where was it difficult? I guess you can answer any one of those questions that I just threw at you. <laughs> it's funny, we have um, a couple sentences in the introduction about that. And Sarah, didn't your sister say, oh, it sounds like you guys were fighting all the time. <laughs> Yeah, she says it sounds like it was a little rough. Oh, I didn't get that. (laughs) Like, well, at times, you know, it never in like a an unpleasant way, in like a a digging deep generative. (laughs) It's very intimate. It's I mean, reading is intimate, and we are basically reading together, and we're also making something together, right? So we're um we are making and we decided to just take our names off and put them all together as collaborate as a collaborative piece um which is great because we we were helping each other so much along the way although I feel like there's some that Sarah just did all on her own because they were so perfect um but uh 
was just, I think, kind of intimate. And in that intimacy includes like seeing yourself and your own tastes and your own foibles and your own mistakes, my own foibles and my own mistakes is what I mean. <laughs> and, um, and being vulnerable that way, like we definitely had to be vulnerable and like figure out why we thought this word was more important than be able to articulate that. And, um, um, yeah, it, I just think it was oddly intimate considering we didn't even meet in person until we went to an Alta conference together. We, we had been doing Zoom before Zoom was cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a very humbling experience in a way. I know there, there were definitely moments because you feel translation at times feels like writing your own poem. You feel so much of your voice in there as well. Um, and I, I think there was one moment where Lisa gave me feedback on a poem and I was like, I, I don't want to change that poem anymore. And then a few weeks later, I looked at her feedback and I was like, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> so there were just, you know, so many moments where you, you had to set aside what you thought was like the absolute right version of the poem, because there is this incredible other perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I, what I really appreciated throughout the whole process, I mean, not only did Lisa and I become incredible friends, which made everything more wonderful. Um, but we both above all wanted to center Varela's voice. And so when we came to these moments that were difficult, we would always return to the Spanish. We would always return to her voice and her style and discuss what was most important, not in what we wanted to get across, but what she wanted to get across. And process-wise, we had some poems that we translated separately, and then we would edit or look over each other's poems. And then we had, especially in Concierto Animal, poems that we would literally do together, kind of like trading them back and forth. And um, for other collections, what Lisa was referring to, there are collaborative collections of translations where translators will put their initials at the bottom of poems that they translated. And we had that on one of our drafts, um, but we decided against it in the end because we wanted one to present it as truly collaborative. We felt that it was, and we wanted, we thought it was just better to, to center her, you know, and instead of having our initials in there on, on every poem. And, you know, that was, that was the core of it, making sure that her voice came through. Wow, those are all great lessons for relationship, for working with <laughs> other people. Um, quite talking about keeping the, the eye on the prize. Um, and so that prize, her voice, let's end with um, a couple more poems of hers. Um, if I think they're short enough that what I was thinking is we could do um, from Out of the Abyss, Sarah, if you would read that, Lisa, if you would read the, the C's bright lyric. And then maybe as the last poem, we could do the Spanish of so be it, Sarah and Lisa, the English. Perfect. So again, um, listeners, this is Blanca Varela. We're reading from um, The Blinding Star and this is Sarah, Danielle Rivera and Lisa Ellen Ortiz. Sarah reading, from the, reading the poem from Out of the Abyss. Um, these first two, do you want them just in English? Yes, I think for the only because of time. <laughs> yes. Uh, so these first two are both from Animal Concert, Concierto Animal. 
From out of the abyss that casts this final flower to the wind, I climb like the spider I am, fragile and rancorous, wanting to touch any light that would harden my heart. The sea's bright lyric wakes the soul even while the body sleeps. A single tone, water against water. The wind, sharp instrument, plucks the instant. They are one now, sea and wind, restless. The martial lovers from a suspended life, eyelids closed, veins quivering, they prepare themselves. And the, this is the last poem that you've, the last poem in your book. Yes, and it's uh, the last poem in the book, though it's actually from one of the earlier uh, collections, but we just couldn't resist the, the ending. <laughs> um, and it has our title in it. Así sea. El día queda atrás, apenas consumido y ya inútil. Comienza la gran luz. Todas las puertas ceden ante un hombre dormido. El tiempo es un árbol que no cesa de crecer. El tiempo... La gran puerta entreabierta, el astro que ciega. No es con los ojos que se ve nacer esa gota de luz que será, que fue un día. Canta abeja sin prisa, recorre el laberinto iluminado de fiesta. Respira y canta. Donde todo termina abre las alas. Eres el sol, el aguijón del alba el mar que besa las montañas, la claridad total, el sueño. And Lisa, would you like to read the English? So be it. Day lies behind, barely consumed and already useless. The great light begins. All doors yield to man who's sleeping. Time is a tree that grows unceasing. Time the great door ajar, the blinding star. It is not with eyes that one sees, the drop of light that will be that was a day. Unhurried, bee song runs the course of the labyrinth, a light in celebration. Breathe and sing. Where it all ends, open your wings. You are the sun, the sting of dawn, the sea that kisses the mountains, total clarity, dream sleep. Thank you. Those lovely readings, Scott. It's such a great poem. But thank you both. This is um, the Hive Poetry Collective. My guests are Lisa Allen Ortiz and Sarah Danielle Rivera. I will put links to their, their, their websites and especially to the book, The Blinding Star, available from Tolson Books. Thank you again and have a great evening. Thank you for Noise and Hive. Thank you.